Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not draw out and hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna me for my Welcome on to episode 102, Friday. Yes, Friday! Woo! Friday, March 25th, 2016. The days just keep rolling on. And we're here to recap day one of the Sweet 16 for you here. As uh, it couldn't have been any more chalk than it was last night. I mean, it was uh, sheer domination by the top seeds. Uh, we have one and two. In the uh, in in the top left bracket and one and two in the bottom left bracket. If you were looking at your bracket right now, I don't know the exact names of the brackets, but uh, uh, oh, in the in the south region and the west region, both number one and number two teams will be facing off in the elite eight to go to the final four for the weekend. Uh, it was just it was just sheer domination by the top teams. There was there's no way around it. Uh, no way to sugarcoat it. It was. Frankly, I mean, watchable from the standpoint of if you're a fan of these teams, if one of these teams, because if you were a fan of Kansas, you saw a dominating performance in the second half. You saw Duke come out and just get throttled in the in the second half, and you saw Villanova pull away against Miami and Oklahoma and Texas A&M. Eh, they had kind of a decent second half, but the first half was sheerly dominated by Oklahoma. We're here to break it down. We're here to talk about it with my guy Jonathan Wagner. What's up, Jonathan? How you doing, man? Good to see you. Good to talk to you. <laughs> doing good. Well, yeah, I can see you. Uh, no, uh, I. Uh, it, it is good to. Uh, it is good to talk to you again. Uh, obviously, here to talk about March Madness. Obviously, not like it was last weekend. Uh, yesterday, yesterday was a very walk in the park day when it looked like the matchups were going to be instant classics, and instead, when it came to an entertainment perspective, it was just it was all domination by the top seed. Shockingly enough, because you had a team like Miami from the ACC who plays pretty gritty defense, and they didn't really show up in this game against Villanova. And then you had a team in Duke who, let's be honest, throughout the year they've been inconsistent, but they're still very talented, and they got absolutely throttled. What, what was your take from last night's games overall before we get into each game individually? Uh, just on Villanova, man, that, that's the thing that stood out. Just their efficiency offensively is just off the charts right now. You consider what Miami did offensively. I, I, these numbers are incredible. To, when you think that Miami lost the game by 23 points, they shot right. 53.2% from the field, which, which is very good. They shot a, very, a great 58.8% from three, 10 of 17. Uh, didn't get to the line that much, but they made 9 of 13 there. But you know, And still – lost by 23 points because Villanova just they didn't miss. I mean, they shot 62.7% overall, 10 of 15 from three. Nine, even at the line, 94.7% made 18 of 19. So uh, everybody for Villanova, uh, Archie Diacono had it going early, had the quick uh, 13 points early, finished with 21. He was 7 for 11. Chris Jenkins was 8 for 10, hit one from uh, the middle of the logo, <laughs> pretty much on, on, on yeah. the Miami side of the court, uh, on a three with the shot clock running down. It, it was like effortless too. It was like a Chris, like like a Steph Curry three for Chris Jenkins. I mean, it, it was even even beyond Curry's normal range. This was this was a shot he had to take because there's about three on the shot clock. But it wasn't even like he forced it. He just put it up like it was just a regular twenty foot jumper. So uh, the heat check yeah, I know uh, Seth Davis made the point that, that the guys are, are starting to practice that shot a little more often. Maybe he's starting to see why 
those shots look so effortless lately and why they're going in. It's kind of interesting. Never used to see that before. But uh, Ochefu, uh, he goes 7 for 11 from the field. Josh Hart had the early foul trouble with two quick fouls. It looked like that might be a problem for Villanova, but he still finishes with 14, 5 of 9 from the field. They just were so efficient offensively, didn't miss, and and just so difficult to guard last night. And once they get out to an early lead like that, uh, you knew it was going to be trouble for Miami. Now, to their credit, Miami did battle back, and they did go on a nice run and, and make it a game uh, before Villanova kind of pulled away a little bit by halftime. We're only up six, but then once the second half started. Um, Villanova, though, with, with the thing that, that can't be ignored about them, and even Oklahoma, too, we'll get to that, too. You know, you think of them as offensive teams, and they are primarily, but their defense has been really good in this tournament, Villanova. It was great against Iowa. Iowa. It, it was really solid against uh, Miami, too. Even though Miami shot uh, high percentages overall and from three, uh, Villanova, you know, they didn't foul much and, and still held yeah. Miami under 70 points and, and did what they had to do defensively. And they got a lot of their offense, as they did against Iowa, from their defense. And Oklahoma, too, you know, them holding Texas A&M down after they fell behind early. Um, those two teams, you know, you're starting to see, and that's the thing that, that stood out last night, too. Kansas's defense in the second half was, was tremendous. Um, Oregon gave Duke a lot of problems defensively. So um, you're starting to see teams not win, not only because they're making shots, not only because they're real efficient like Villanova was offensively last night, but they're doing it at both ends of the floor. And, you know, that's what you'd like to see when you get these all this chalk with the top two seeds reaching the Elite Eight so far, uh, that's what you want to see is teams playing uh, at the highest level, not only at one end of the floor, but at both ends of the floor. And so far, the four teams that won last night, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and like you mentioned, Villanova's been playing outstanding basketball. I mean, obviously they played UNC uh, uh, Asheville, and they, they dominated them by 20. They beat uh, they beat Iowa by 21, and they come in today yesterday, and they win by 23. Uh, and each of those teams have scored under under 70 points uh, when they've beaten them. So, yeah, their defense is playing well. They're playing well as a basketball team overall. And, and they'll be tested against a team like Kansas, who absolutely came out and laid the wood to, to Maryland uh, last night. Yesterday really was three of the four games outside of the Oklahoma-Texas A&M game, which really was a blowout from beginning to end. Um, <clears throat> they were all tails the second half. Illinois was up you know, only six going into the half, still a pretty competitive game. They pulled away. Duke and Oregon, what, five-point game. Oregon pulled away. And then you saw Kansas-Maryland, and that was the definition of, look, a great, great first half. I thought it was going to be a classic coming down the stretch, and Kansas just laid the whooping on them in the second half. Um, let's just go in chronological order. We just talked about Miami-Villanova and what happened there and how incredible they've been. Um, but the next game after that was Oklahoma-Texas A&M. And I honestly thought that this was probably outside of Duke-Oregon. I thought Duke-Oregon was going to be the best game of the night. Um, but I thought Texas A&M and Oklahoma would be a, would be a, would be a get-down, dirty game, kind of like what we're going to see tonight between Wisconsin and Notre Dame. I kind of expected that to happen, but instead it was a team like Oklahoma who really came out strong early. And they were up, they were up by 20, really, you know, before you even knew it. What did you see from this one? Well, this is a good game for Oklahoma from the standpoint that uh, you look at a game like VCU where Buddy Heald had to put the Sooners on his back in the second half, and he and he did so. Um, you know, he still had a good game. He still had a double-double. He had 17-10, and 6-13 from the field. Didn't shoot well from three, though, 2-7. of seven. They had a nice balance, and, you know, with Woodard scoring 22 to lead them, two other guys, or three other guys actually in double figures with, with James uh, Latine and, and Spangler. So this was really a team effort. And, and they really locked down defensively in the second half. Um, Texas A&M just 34% from the field. Didn't hit the free throws, only 13 or 24 at the line. That really hurt them because that was an area they could have taken taken advantage of with, with the Sooners. The Sooners only went to the line nine times, only made four four at the line. So as wow. it was, Texas A&M had a, had a nine-point advantage at the free throw line, but they took 20, uh, sorry, uh, 15 more free throw attempts. So if they could have got a little bit more out of that, I don't know it would have made that much of a difference, but maybe it would have kept them in the game a little bit longer. Um, they got out to the nice start, and you thought, okay, maybe this is going to be a good game. You know, they're up 13-6, and then next thing you know, Oklahoma goes on a run. And um, it was still pretty close at halftime, but second half, that's where Texas A&M just couldn't get anything going offensively. Everything they tried, uh, Oklahoma was there in the passing lanes, denying them and, and trying to force them out on the perimeter. And, 
and Texas A&M just couldn't really get anything uh, going offensively, and and eventually that that just caught up with them. Is again, 34% against a team like Oklahoma is just not going to get it done, and and Oklahoma is playing pretty well right now. You know, for a while, uh, about halfway through, and maybe halfway through that second half, even against VCU, it looked like they might even, might not even have gotten to to last night. Uh, because uh, VCU was, was kind of, for a moment, taking control of that game until, again, he'll put them on their back. And now uh, it's kind of comforting, I think, for for Oklahoma to know that, you know, not necessarily do they always have to rely on Buddy Hill. They're, they're probably going to have to have him carry them in, in at least one or, two, one or two more games if they're going to win it all, um, and then certainly in stretches of all the games that are left for them. But, Last night, you know, he didn't really do that. You know, he still played a solid game, but but again, it was a team effort for them. And if they can get that, and you still know that you can rely on Heald when when you need him, that's something that's huge for the Sooners the rest of the way, especially against a good Oregon team too coming up tomorrow. Yeah, we're talk about we'll talk about that now. Actually, Duke and Oregon played. They were the final game of the night. But let's just mention it. I thought this was. I honestly thought Duke and Oregon was going to be game of the night from the standpoint that Duke's been inconsistent all year, but they have the talent to compete with pretty much anybody in, in, in college basketball. And Oregon really came into the tournament, you know, as kind of the lone wolf from the Pac-12. In my opinion, outside of Utah, I thought Utah was going to do much better than they did. But Oregon really was kind of the lone wolf coming out of the Pac-12 with with real chances to do something, and obviously being a one seed, that's what the committee thought, and they did so. They dominated Duke last night. I mean, it was just sheer domination from Oregon in the second half. They won by 14, ultimately 82 to 68, and um, you just saw, you kind of just saw what Duke went through all season. You know, they they played pretty well in the first half, not quite good enough to take the lead, but that's not the point. They still played well in the first half. They hung in there against Oregon. And then at the end, Oregon just pulled away. They just kept pulling away, and, and, and Duke couldn't really do much, even though it was a quote-unquote rough shooting night for Brandon Ingram, even though he went he had 24 points, he went 9 of 20 from the field. Everyone else kind of, you know, just kind of faded away into the sunset for the season. And uh, Duke looked like they were getting ready. For their, some of their key players were getting ready for the NBA draft. It didn't look like anyone was really there to, to compete that night. Uh, and maybe that's due to credits, uh, due credit, give the credit to Oregon potentially for that, but it just seemed like Duke wasn't really in it late in the second half of that ball game when they were down big. What did you see from this one between Duke and Oregon? Well, aside from Ingram, you know, yeah, nine of twenty is not too bad. But where he struggled was was two for seven at, at, from three point range, and Grace Allen two of six. You know, overall, the Devil, Blue Devils only go seven of twenty two from three. That was their formula for winning. If they were going to win, they were going to have to knock down the threes like they did early against Yale. You know, they cooled off later against them, but early on they made eight out of ten. From from three against Yale and build, building that huge lead. Now they weren't going to build a huge lead like that against Oregon, but being hot from three would have at least kept them in the game. And if you go seven of twenty-two against a team like Oregon, especially with their athleticism, they're so much quicker. Aside from Ingram, they're they're a lot. They're so much more so much more athletic and and, and quick, and it tough for Duke to contain and guard. So. Uh, and also at the other end of the floor too, you know they 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 bother Duke a lot with their athleticism and quickness, so and 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 their length a little bit. So uh, you know that was something that that Duke was not going to overcome, especially with with their depth. You saw the depth issues that you knew it was probably going to catch up with them at some point during this tournament, and it hadn't in the first two games against Wilmington. Uh, you thought it might have only because of the way Wilmington kind of presses and, and, and throws a lot of guys at you at, at different times. And it almost did cost Duke in that game, but they held on. Uh, yeah, it wasn't really an issue. But you saw against a team like Oregon, who who does have that athleticism and quickness, uh, and likes to run a little bit at times. You saw that's where that kind of wore Duke down a little bit, and and just being short with their Brent with their bench just just was a problem for Duke. Uh, and and again, the only way that they were going to be able to stay in the game was knocking down the three ball, and they just weren't doing it efficiently enough. And and with with guys like Brooks and Cook and and other guys that got in double figures for Oregon, that was just too much for for Duke to overcome. They, if they weren't going to knock down the three, you knew eventually Oregon was going to pull away. And and uh, sure enough, you know Duke was you know you, you, they kind of made a run a little bit late, but you never really got the, yeah. the feeling that they were really ever going to get back in the game. Exactly, and it was one of those like you said they were making a little bit of a run late, but at the same time it wasn't like a run with. You know, they were down ten with with three minutes to go. They were down they were down fifteen with three minutes to go. Yeah, it's a little different. It's a little different when you're down too much, and that was the problem with with all these games. Realistically, if each of these teams, I think, would have had a little bit of a closer stretch, 
that's the kind of that's kind of the magic of March Madness altogether. When games are close within uh, single digits with about five minutes to go, really anything can happen. But when it's when you're down by twenty or fifteen, that's when it starts to become really hard to watch because you start to see these young guys press and you start to see them really want to you kind of do some outlandish things from what they're used to. And you saw a lot of that late in these games from yesterday because a lot of these teams were down big with about five minutes to go. And that's really where kind of the games fizzle uh, when you see, when you watch college basketball or maybe in the NBA, if they were in a do or die situation, which is doesn't happen unless it's game seven, you might see a team go on a 10 minute, 10 point run in three minutes. You might see that it'll be a quick, you know, four or five baskets. And they're right back in the ball game. Whereas in college basketball, when they're down five, when they're down 15 with five to go, it's really tough because the game is so methodical, much more methodical in college basketball than it is in the NBA. Not that it can't be done, but it's but it's definitely a lot tougher, especially when you get this deep into the tournament. And I think when it came to the biggest, the most talented matchup, uh, obviously Duke and Oregon was I think the most anticipated from the standpoint of it's Duke, it's Oregon. You know, Oregon's kind of an unknown, and Duke obviously the legendary program, but. I think when it came to the most talented matchup of the night was Kansas and Maryland because Maryland was a preseason top 10, top five team and Kansas, obviously, obviously a top, top three team in college basketball prior to the season. And the first half lived up to the billing. It really did. Kansas was up, was up two. Uh, Maryland had the lead at some point in the first half. It was very close. I mean, I really wasn't watching many of these games because I was at work and I was, I was busy, but, when I saw the score, I was like, man, I got to tune in. I got to at least put it on. If I don't put it on, then I'm doing myself in just, in, uh, a, a disservice for not watching this game. And the next thing I know, I see Kansas going like a 10-0 run to start the second half or something like that to start the second half. And I'm like, well, uh, it's looking like Kansas has uh, clearly made some adjustments in the second half. And Maryland's got – you know, and, and Andrew has brought this up before, you know, the inconsistencies of Maryland all year long. It showed up in this game. It really did. I mean, they, they really did not play well in the second half. Uh, and, and Kansas just came out and wanted it more, and they got it. They winning 79-63. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Definition of a chalk day in college basketball as Kansas gets it done and they move on to the Elite Eight. What did you see from this one? Well, I mean, Maryland played really well in the first half. And uh, and even for the start of the second half for a little bit, it was tied at 43. Like you said, they had the lead earlier in, earlier in the first half. And then when it was tied at 43, Kansas scores the next nine. It's 52-43. And you pretty much knew, even though, you know, nine-point game with whatever it was, 11, 12 minutes to go, maybe, maybe a little bit more, even though you know that that's, you know, still far from over, you just kind of had the feeling that, okay, Maryland was hanging in there. 43 all they had the lead earlier but now Kansas just just decided to say okay we're going to play now and it, they scored nine straight to go 52 43 you just got the feeling that at that point nine points might as well have been you know double that at that point because Kansas just wasn't going to yeah. relinquish it and, and that's exactly what happened Perry Ellis played great uh 27 points on 10 to 17 Selden with 19 points on 7 to 16 when those two guys do that uh Kansas is real tough to beat uh, Lucas pulled down 11 boards and 14 points. So he had a double double in 29 minutes. Um, very efficient, six of seven from the field. So, uh, and, you know, and again, like we're saying, the defense though is what really got this done for Kansas. You know, Maryland got nothing done from three, five of 25. Uh, Melo Tremble, one of seven from three, had a tough shooting night, uh, five of 16 overall to get a 17 points. So he really had to work for for everything that that he got. Uh, even Suleiman too, he had 18 points for Maryland. Uh, six of 12 overall was was fine, but just two of seven from three didn't get to the line much, only four times. So uh, those two guys, they each got to double figures, and nobody else did for Maryland. So nobody else really. Had it going offensively for Maryland. Uh, struggled from the field overall, only 40%, and again, 5 of 25 from three. Kind of like the Duke situation where if Maryland's going to take that many threes, 25 threes out of their 55 shots, if they're not going to hit them, there's no way they're going to stay in the game with, with a team like Kansas. Um, you've got to make those threes. You know, another five threes, you know, you make it 10 out of 25 instead of 5 out of 25. Maybe you're in a game late, you know, with four or five minutes to go. But when you go five out of 25 from three and you're Maryland, you're not going to keep up with Kansas. And that's exactly what happened. They started taking threes to try and get back in the game, just couldn't make them. And uh, that's to Kansas's credit. You know, they got out on the perimeter. They, they got up on Maryland. They played defense. And their, their defense was, was, was really strong. Again, all these teams that are, that are playing tomorrow, yeah, they've done it offensively, but it's the defense that's, that's really – pushed them over the top, you know, you and from teams that you wouldn't expect. You expect it from Kansas maybe, but Villanova, uh 
Oklahoma and to an extent Oregon, you don't really expect it that much. But but those teams have all played good defense. At least last night they had Villanova also yeah. in, against in their game against Iowa. Like I said, but especially last night, that was the thing that stood out. Is these teams are not just executing offensively, defensively they're getting the job done. And and I think uh, really nobody did that better than uh, than Kansas did last night. They made it really tough on Maryland last night. And I think and I think where you see that where you see that defensive intensity, to be honest, is you get three days off, three, four days off, yeah. uh, you know, obviously once you get off that weekend. And that's why when I see – when this is the thing that blows my mind about people when they pick their brackets. Now, obviously not everyone's, you know, on college basketball like we are, but when people start picking their brackets and they think that a team like – you know, and I know Gonzaga could go to the Elite Eight. Obviously they're playing Syracuse because so they're not playing a big-time team. But let's say you have a team like, you know like, – like that's what makes what George Mason did, VCU, Butler, what they've done in the past in history – so incredible because you expect the best teams in the nation to come out in these games and, and absolutely dominate because they've had three days to prepare rest and get ready. I mean, they've had an entire season to play. You're getting rested, you're getting ready and, and you should come out and play like this and dominate over teams that you're supposed to beat this time of year because you have the time and the preparation and the, and all that. And obviously you can work on some, some tactical things and come in and, and dominate. And that's what happened. And that's why what, what, what these underdogs have done over the years, getting to like the Elite Eight or the Final Four, is absolutely incredible. Because the first weekend, anything's possible. Anything can happen. The, the, the season, everyone's had a rest. Everyone's had, 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 had some form of a couple of days off. And anything could happen in that first game. And then that second game, anything could happen because it's literally like a day later. It's, it's not much difference. But when you have three days off going into the third round or the Sweet 16 of the, of the, uh, of the tournament – you really start to see the cream of the crop rise. And so when I see people say, oh, I think, I think, I think this team, the 12 seed, is going to go all the way to the final four, I'm like, whoa, slow down, guy. Yeah. Once you get to the Sweet 16, it's really when you start to lock in with the best teams. And the best teams start to dominate. You saw it last, you saw it last night. And going into, going into Saturday with these, uh, with these games locked in, Oklahoma and Oregon in the West region and Villanova, Kansas, I mean, chalk, it's, it's all chalk at the top there, and, and that's generally what the tournament turns into this time of the tournament. You see the better teams rise to the top, and hopefully you see the better entertainment uh, quality go up too. Unfortunately, last night was not, from a standpoint of close games, not very entertaining, but from a standpoint of dominance and great team basketball, you saw that. You saw that from the better teams last night, and you saw them, and you saw the reasons why they were picked so high to be in the tournament. And uh, uh, Andrew, unfortunately, could not be with us today. Um, I, I don't see him in the studio, so uh, we're just going to keep on moving forward uh, with Jonathan here on the show. Obviously, uh, Jonathan breaking down some fantastic points to these games and what's been going on uh, throughout the tournament, and we definitely thank him for that. Uh, Jonathan, let's preview tonight's games before we move on to some NBA chatter that we definitely had before the show started. Uh, Iowa State and Virginia in the first game today, 7-10 uh, PM Eastern time, Iowa state, Virginia. Look, I love Iowa state because they're talented. And when they're on, they're one of the tougher, if not one of the toughest teams to play in basketball. But if Virginia can do anything like these teams did last night, they should come out and absolutely destroy Iowa state with their ability to, to get it done from the floor uh, and, and play small ball. I think they got a chance to get it done there. And I think they'll beat Iowa state, but don't be shocked if this is a close one coming down the stretch uh, on CBS first game of the day. And then at, and then about seven thirty. P.M. Eastern time. You got Wisconsin Notre Dame. It is not a football game. It is a basketball game. <laughs> Notre Dame is uh, Notre Dame is favored by a point and a half. I, I think this is going to be a low scoring affair. I think I think Notre Dame is going to score sixty. I think Wisconsin is going to score in the fifties. I, I don't know ultimately who's going to. I mean, I, obviously, I just told you Notre Dame can score sixty. Wisconsin will score fifty. So I think I think Notre Dame is going to win. Considering it's a seven six matchup, it's an odd number matchup. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Wisconsin came out and won. I wouldn't be shocked if Notre Dame came out and won. Uh, I, I hope I hope personally Notre Dame gets out there because uh, my my girlfriend's side of the family is a big time a uh, big time Notre Dame fan, uh, and so from that perspective I hope they win. But I wouldn't be shocked either way. Gonzaga Syracuse. This is the Cinderella game of the night. Uh, this will be on at 9:40 p.m. Eastern time. Gonzaga is favored by five. With the way Syracuse is uh, with the way Syracuse's two three zone has been playing lately. I wouldn't be shocked if they came out to a hot start and dominated Gonzaga, but at the same time, with the way Gonzaga's played, I mean, they've beaten everybody they've faced by 20 the last couple of games. I mean, they're look like, looking like a team that could seriously make a serious run to the Final Four. They really do. And if they keep playing the way that they're playing at this clip, they could face an Indiana or North Carolina team, which is the final game of the night around 10 p.m. Eastern time. 
uh, Indiana, North Carolina, they could face them and give them some stress. Give them some stress. Do I think it's going to happen? No. I think, to be honest with you, the only game worth watching tonight when it comes to a championship contender, I think, is Indiana, North Carolina. Uh, uh, Jonathan and I have mentioned it. Indiana, North Carolina has been one of those matchups where you look at it and you're like, wow. Uh, one of these two teams, especially how they played in the first round, could seriously meet up in the national championship game, and I don't think anyone would be shocked considering the way they have been playing in the way. And it's not just the way they've been playing. It's the quality of play that they've been playing against really good opponents. Indiana beat Kentucky rather soundly, even though it was a close game. They beat them rather soundly in multiple facets of the game uh, over the weekend. And North Carolina has found ways to get it, get it done and ultimately get to this point in time of their season throughout the year. And now over the past weekend, they played great basketball on top of that. I think Indiana-North Carolina is probably the game, game to watch this entire weekend, if you had one game to pick from, I would honestly pick this game because I'm telling you, I think whoever wins has a big shot of beating Gonzaga or Syracuse. Not that, not that you can't discount what Gonzaga's been doing, but seriously, Gonzaga, I mean, they, they are 11 seed for a reason. Indiana and North Carolina are top seeds for a reason because they dominated in their big-time conferences. What do you see from tonight, Jonathan, from all four of these matchups, and what, what do you expect from the standpoint of uh, how these games should go? Uh, well, let's start with North Carolina, Indiana. Um, well, uh, you know, what, actually, let's start in order here. We'll take the Virginia Iowa State game first. We'll, we'll start in the way the, the order, the way the games are going to actually be uh, yeah. played out tonight. So, so uh, yeah, I, I think that in the bottom of the, uh, the of the brackets in in in, in, uh, in this bracket here in the Midwest, but to me, those are those are two of the more intriguing matchups from style standpoints. Um, uh, Virginia Iowa State is obviously the the one where the styles are going to contrast the most because uh, I, I don't know that that Virginia is going to be able to. If, I think they have a great chance to win, obviously, but I don't know that they're going to blow anybody out, including Ohio, uh, including uh, Iowa State. So I think. I think if they're going to win, they're going to have to grind it out, you know, same way they kind of did against Butler in, in their last win. You know, this is not Hampton again. So from here on out, it's going to be uh, tough for Virginia because that's just the way they play. You know, they don't really – they don't score a lot. They they win with their defense, and they're really one of the better defensive teams in the country, and they'll ride with their defense and with Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, and it really – those are two things that are going to really – Determine how far Virginia is going to go. It's going to be it's going to be how far can can Malcolm Brogdon take take them, and how far can their defense take them. Uh, and this is going to be an interesting match. We were saying it, uh, I think, on the last show. You know, it's always easier when you have a contrast in styles. If you're Virginia against a team like Iowa State, you have the edge because I, I think it's always easier in basketball at any level, whether it's college, the NBA, high school, whatever it is. It's always easier to slow a team down and to try and speed a team up. And that's exactly what Iowa State wants to do. Iowa State, they'll want to play this game in the 80s. If they could play it in the 90s, they'll be happy. You know, they want to get up and down. They want to play a high-scoring game, Uh, you know, a lot of possessions, not working the shot clock down. Virginia's just the opposite. They're going to be very deliberate on offense, keep the possessions down, play a defensive grind-out type of game. That's what they want. So from a style standpoint, this is going to be probably one of the more intriguing ones, uh, and, and so will the other game in the Midwest bracket. But, but Virginia and, and Iowa State, I think, are really opposites in terms of style. Um, for Iowa State, you know, it's the usual. You're going to have to have Nang and, and Monte Morris step up big. Uh, for them, that you know, they're, they're the guys that have to get it done uh, for Iowa, for Iowa State. But again, they're going to want to try and play a play a fast pace here and see if they could speed Virginia up, which is which is as other teams have found out is not the easiest thing to do all the time. So uh, you know, uh, they are, it it played into Virginia's hands because Butler kind of plays that style too. So uh, although you know Butler hung in that game for a while, so if you do have that style, you can beat. Uh, Virginia that way too. You know, Virginia is a one seed, but they're to me they're one of the weaker one seeds. Maybe if not the weakest, especially if you consider the way Oregon's played yeah. so far in this tournament. Uh, if you had to look at all the four one seeds, you know, if you had to pick right now at this point, uh, which one seed would get knocked out first? I'll I'll still go with Virginia uh, uh, from all the all the one seeds that are left. Uh, even though North yeah. Carolina's got a very tough game tonight, uh, but I, I'll, I'll still go with that. And not that I'm expecting Iowa State necessarily to do, but I think somewhere along the line here. Although you know Virginia's got the right draw, you, you have to admit that much because you know they're they're not they're not in, a, in another region where where they have a tougher draw. You know if they were playing Indiana instead of North Carolina, it might be a lot tougher yeah. on them. 
uh, you know, and they don't have to worry about Michigan State, obviously, anymore, which could be very tough on them, a team that's knocked them out the last two years in the tournament. So uh, things might be finally just kind of breaking right for Virginia in terms of luck, in terms of the bracket and everything, the way the way it's gone for them so far. And, you know, they have to take advantage of that. But, but you know, again, it's going to be Malcolm Brogdon. You know, it, it's, they'll go as far as he takes them and as far as their defense takes them. Uh, the other game, I guess, uh, after that, the other early game is going to be Notre Dame Wisconsin, and and uh, I I think it I see it as a little bit higher scoring game uh, maybe than you might because I think I think uh, Wisconsin can play two ways. Wisconsin's going to prefer to be like Virginia and play it more of a of a right. low scoring grind out type of game, not quite that forty seven forty three game we saw against Pittsburgh, but you know I, I think they're. I think they're comfortable, you know, they don't, they don't want to play in the 80s either, but they're comfortable playing, you know, in the mid-high 60s, even the low 70s. They could, they could beat you like that as well as they could beat you in a grind-out game in the, in the 50s or low 60s. So I think they can adapt and they're comfortable. You know, we saw them beat Xavier that way after beating Pittsburgh in a much more grind-out game. Uh, but I think um, – you know, for Notre Dame, it's going to be Demetrius Jackson and Zach August. You know, they're going to have to get it done for for the for the Irish. Um, they're going to have to carry them. For Wisconsin, you know, how much does uh, does Bronson Canning have left? You know, after after right. those two big shots in that big game that he had to beat Xavier, uh, is he going to keep it rolling? Because the first game he didn't have such a good game, uh, and then against Pittsburgh right. had a very bad game, and then the second game he came back. Uh, to to help with carry Wisconsin past Xavier. So which which Koenig is going to show up today? Is it going to be the same guy that was the hero against uh, against Xavier, or is it, or is it going to be the guy we saw you know in that first game? So uh, against Pittsburgh. So we'll have to see. That's a big factor for them. And of course Nigel Hayes uh, for for the Badgers. He's going to be another guy that's going to be key for them. Uh, but again, style wise, they're pretty uh, they're pretty similar. More more similar Notre Dame and Wisconsin, I think, than than uh, some of the other matchups we're going to see tonight. Um, but that's going to be an interesting one. That, to me, that's a pick 'em game. You know, you never know what you're going to get from yeah. a six-seven matchup in the Sweet 16. But uh, you know, can either one of these teams though realistically beat North Carolina, Indiana? They could, but to me, this is just pretty much a matchup to say, hey, whoever wins it, you know, we had a nice season, we got to the Elite Eight, we weren't expecting to do so, but now, you know, it's just kind of somewhat of a sacrificial lamb for for whoever wins between North Carolina and Indiana. That's kind of how I see it, although, you know, that's yeah. not to sell Notre Dame and Wisconsin short because they can they are capable of pulling off an upset. You know, they're good enough to do that. I just don't see it. I just think whoever wins this yeah. game their season ends in the next round. So, uh no matter who they face. And uh you know, speaking of that game, the North Carolina Indiana, um this is going to be a very interesting game. Um, I think North Carolina is, is a little bit better defensively, and that could be the difference in this game ultimately, especially with Bryce yep. Johnson swatting shots in the middle, protecting the rim, uh, and also what he does offensively. So uh, Marcus Page, you know, at, at the point, you know, what what can he do to to keep that North Carolina offense uh, in sync and, and and running smoothly against Indiana, which which I, I don't think will be too much of a problem because Indiana is not a they're they're a good defensive team, not a great defensive team. Their strength is more their offense, and that's really where they're going to have to win this game. Yogi Ferrell, is he going to have a big game? Uh, Blackman, Thomas Bryant up front, are they going to have big games? And, and is Thomas Bryant going to be able to do down low? Uh, against Bryce Johnson in North Carolina, uh, what he was able to do against Kentucky. Uh, it's possible because Kentucky's got, got right. some length and size down low, and he was able to have a, be a big factor in that game. So if he did it then, it's possible he could do it again against Carolina. But I, I think this is a game where the three ball is going to be the difference. If Indiana knocks down the three, uh, they're going to be in good shape. If they don't, that's going to be the difference, and I think that's going to be what ultimately will keep them from, from keeping up with North Carolina. But this is going to be a close game late. I think no matter what happens, it's going to be one of the yeah. more entertaining games tonight. And uh, I, I would agree with you, like out of the four games – uh, in terms of top talent and in terms on the floor for both sides and in terms of of just how the game's going to be played and 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 quality of play overall i think that's going to be the the most fun and most intriguing game to watch tonight and then another game intriguing in a different way maybe not in terms of overall right. talent to the level of north carolina indiana but it's still intriguing in its own right and i talked about style in the top of this midwest bracket between the the contrast between virginia and iowa state there's going to be another contrast between Gonzaga and Syracuse uh, because you're going to have 
Gonzaga against that 2-3 zone. Now, Gonzaga's only seen zone about 8% of the time. I saw that. Uh, I think Doug Gottlieb had tweeted that out, according to Synergy Sports. Uh, last night he tweeted that out. And, and uh, I, I imagine that Gonzaga hadn't seen zone much. And sure enough, he said it was only 8% of the time this year. Uh, but they're also one of the better teams going against the zone in the country offensively. And there's a difference between Middle Tennessee State uh, who looked so good against the man-to-man defense at Michigan State throughout them and right. were able to do be very effective with their offense. There's a difference between them going from that to Syracuse two days later when they haven't seen zone and Gonzaga with a good coach like Mark Few, who's now had about a week because Gonzaga uh, will not have played since, I believe, last Sunday, right? now, Or, or even last Saturday, I think they haven't played. Yeah. Uh, and he knew that he'd be preparing – uh, uh, probably for Syracuse from the moment he saw them pull away in the second half against Middle Tennessee State. He knew he, who he was going to be playing tonight, you know, uh, uh, about a week later from, from Saturday night, you know, till Friday night tonight. So you give a coach yeah. like Mark Few a week to prepare, uh, you know, it might almost be like, now he's not the best coach out there, but he's still a very good coach. But it's almost like giving Bill Belichick, you know, a, a bye week in the playoffs, you know, for, for, for a yeah. playoff game where, where he can prepare. That may not necessarily help them because that Syracuse zone is so good and so tough, and especially when you haven't seen it much like Gonzaga has in only 8% of the time this year, they may still struggle against it. But they do have the shooters. They do have the offense to, to counter it. you got, uh, you got Kyle Wilcher uh, in the middle. you got Sabonis up front, McClellan. you got so many guys that can counter it, and they're, they're such a team-oriented uh, offense the way Indiana is getting everybody involved that uh, I think, you know, they might be able to solve that. I think Wilcher's going to be the key. Can they get the ball to him so that he can either do something down low in the, in the post or at least so that he could draw enough attention and let that zone collapse a little bit so that he could then kick it out to the shooters who can maybe knock down some threes or at least some mid-range jumpers. That's going to be the key. If Gonzaga can do that, I think they're going to the Elite, to the elite Eight. If they can't, then it could be a problem for them with the, with that 2-3 Syracuse zone. I think it all comes down to that for them. And also on the Syracuse side, uh, Benajay's been playing so well for Syracuse, their leading scorer. Uh, does he keep it going for the orange offensively? And, and, uh, and can they get out and run and get some easy bu- buckets the way they did in their first two games of this tournament, you know, off of their defense? So uh, I think that's pretty much the key to that game and, and how it's pretty much going to go tonight. Yeah, it's going to be uh... – it, it should be hopefully a better night of college basketball uh, from a standpoint of entertainment because obviously last night was uh, was brutal uh, from the standpoint of if you're sitting at your television or you, you left work early or whatever whatever the case may be or and you turned on the TV and it was just absolutely just pure domination and it was tough to watch. Uh, hopefully today it should be better and I and I agree with you. I think Gonzaga, Syracuse, and Indiana, North Carolina, the late games especially. Yeah, Wisconsin-Notre Dame will be fun, but from a different perspective, like you said, Iowa State-Virginia will be fun too. But I think Gonzaga, Syracuse, Indiana, def- definitely Indiana, North Carolina, are gonna be, is going to be the, the, the best showcase of basketball tonight from the standpoint of entertainment, just because Gonzaga, Syracuse is the Cinderella story, and then Indiana, North Carolina are two true blue blood uh, teams that have been in basketball for a very, very, very long time. So it'll be, it'll be fun to watch there late, and hopefully it, it stays that way moving forward last night in the nba let's get to the nba before we uh slowly get out of here only five games on on a thursday uh pacers beat the pelicans 92 to 84 miles turner 24 points 16 rebounds for indiana absolutely playing great look we all know carl anthony towns is going to win rookie of the year but man miles turner in the eastern conference has truly turned into one of the better centers or excuse me big men in the nba uh, at, at that spot for a young guy. He has really, really improved throughout the season, and I know no one's really paying attention to him, but that Pacers team, Paul George, George Hill, Monte Ellis, and Miles Turner, you talk about a team that has really all the makings to be a great team over the next couple of years in the Eastern Conference. You're seeing that, and a guy in Miles Turner growing the way he has really is an unbelievable thing there. We're going to get the Cavs Nets in a second. We'll definitely talk about that here in a moment, uh, Jonathan. Knicks and Bulls, look, I'm going to say it right now. The Bulls are looking like a team that are not ready to to make the postseason this year, which is fascinating because before the year, you could have made the case, best case scenario, the Bulls could have gone to the NBA Finals. Now, would they have won the Finals? I don't think so with the current roster they have, but the debate could have been this team had the talent to get to the NBA Finals if they had it all put together. Clearly, it is not all put together. Guys are injured. Guys have different agendas. Uh, you know, Jimmy Butler got hurt. Uh, he, he, all these circumstances. Paul Gasol just seems to be aging as time moves forward. Derrick Rose has had a weird, wonky year. 
it's been a very, very odd year for the Bulls, and losing to the Knicks last night only proves that more. Uh, again, not that the Knicks are a bad team. 30 wins is, is, is a fantastic improvement from a year ago for the New York Knicks, and they have clearly shown that this season they're finding ways to win games, and really they, they, they really shouldn't. And the Knicks have found ways to keep moving forward. Again, 30 and 43, much improved from last year with the Bulls. Considering you know what we had expectations for coming into the season, they really have fallen off, and they might be a team that might be in starting and rebuilding mode here over the next couple of years. When we thought that they might come into the season being a championship a championship contender, not that they would win a championship, but that they can contend in the East and maybe even get to the finals. Jazz Thunder, uh, Thunder win their 50th game of the year, 113 and 91 over the Jazz. Kevin Durant, 57th straight game with 20 plus points, uh, first time he's done that since his MVP season. Uh, good for him. I don't think, I mean, 20 points for him is, it should be just, you know, a shot in the dark. It should be pretty simple. So that's not really a shocking statistic for him, but the Thunder win their third, their sixth straight victory, 50 and 22 now hovering there in the third spot and the Clippers game winning basket by JJ Redick near late in the ball game. Fantastic ball game there. Obviously no one was really paying attention because you had college basketball going on, but the Clippers win 96 to 94 in that one. Uh, obviously I think story of the night last night and story of the week really in the NBA has been the, the draw, drama of the Cavaliers, and you've been hearing me on the radio, on the show, the last couple of episodes, talk about the, the, this, this drama by LeBron James. And uh, clearly it, it, it surfaced yesterday as the Nets win 104-95. to LeBron James going off for 30 points, yet his team only scores 95, and they lose to the Nets by 9 points. I know it's that time of the year where it's a little wonky in the NBA. I know it's a little difficult uh, for teams because it's the dog days of the NBA but at the same time, if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, I know you're on the road and I know you're playing the Nets, but there's no excuse. This Nets team is dreadful. I mean, they are a top, they're a bottom five team, top five draft pick coming into the next uh, this off season. And for people to say that, you know, the 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 Nets just had a good day. No, they they the Nets should never beat the Cavs ever. It shouldn't even be close. And for the Nets to dominate the Cavs the way they have. There might be something now really going on with this Cleveland Cavalier team when it comes to the drama in the locker room, the, the, the mega team creation that LeBron's been talking about, the, the drama on social media that LeBron's been creating, or the drama that you know, has been going on. And the, and the media has just been doing their job. But at the same time, I mean, it, it feels kind of created to me. And, and, and maybe it's not after the loss of the Nets the way they lost last night. It's just a fascinating, fascinating thing there. Uh, Jonathan, what's your take on this Cleveland team and what they've been going through over the last couple of days? Well, it might be the most unhappy 51 and 20 team we've ever seen <laughs> because yeah. I mean, you would think you would think with a record like that you're you're still you're still in the top yeah. spot in the East. I mean, you're still yeah. 51 and 20, but I I think this all stems from LeBron because I just get the sense that no matter where he's at, if he's not on top and if he if the attention isn't on him, he's he's not happy. In, and I, I think he, he might be – it might be unfair to say, but he comes off sometime as, as maybe the most insecure superstar that we've seen uh, because yes. no matter what's going on, the grass is always greener somewhere else. Um, now, now, granted, yes. when he was in Cleveland, they weren't getting, getting it done. I understand why he wanted to go to Miami or, or somewhere else, you know, and he ended up in Miami, but at least was looking at other places initially to try and win a title when he hadn't won one before. But then – when he got embarrassed by the Spurs in the finals, and it wasn't even competitive uh, the second time around, um, yes. and really should have lost the first time too, and I think he knows it after missing that that jumper at the end. And the only reason they won it was because they were fortunate enough to get an offensive rebound, and Ray Allen hit that three. Otherwise, they would have lost in six instead of winning in seven, and probably deserved to lose right. in, in, in six, and would still only have one title instead of multiple titles right now. And Don't then need the to following you're just, yeah, <laughs> I, I know, I'm a Spurs fan. Uh, and so, so I fully support you on that one. That Spurs should have had back-to-back that year. But, uh, but then, you know, to be embarrassed, not even be competitive. And then last year, aside from those first couple games, the rest of the series be the same thing against the Warriors. And then to have the Warriors come in this year and completely embarrass the, the Cavs in the same way that the Spurs did to the Cavs, uh, in the finals that, that second time when they when they met against the Heat. I think that was all playing in LeBron's head because right after that, what happened? David Black got fired. You know, um, there's turmoil among the team. You know, you got, you got Kyrie Irving. You still have Kevin Love. Now, granted, he's not the same Kevin Love that he was in Minnesota, but he's still a good player. 
pretty good, at least in terms of, you know, not having it be all on him like it was in Minnesota, but, you know, as a third option, even some nights a fourth option, he's still solid in that role. And you still have Kyrie Irving, you still have LeBron, who, you know, for all of Steph Curry's uh, great, great play as an MVP last year and headed that way this year, LeBron's probably still uh, arguably the, the best player in the league. So you still have all that. You're still 51 and 20. You're, you're in first. You're in first place in the East. You're headed for for home court advantage throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs and and looking like you you can make it back to the to the finals if you could just stop bickering with each other long enough. And and what do you have? I mean, you have nothing but drama. And then for right. for this thing to come out. Now, granted, it look, the timing of this looks bad because apparently the story was really six weeks ago when he was asked, and it just comes out now. So that has to be considered. But, um, it, it, you know, for it to come out, though, still, where you're supposed to have your focus on your team now and what your task right. is at hand now and getting to the Eastern Conference Finals now, and you're talking about, well, let me look over there, and, hey, maybe I could form a super team with Melo and, and, and Chris Paul and, you know, and, and then to have J.R. Smith – who, uh, granted, we know it's J.R. Smith. He doesn't always say the, the smartest yeah. things. But yeah. still, you would know Smith coming been to in, <laughs> yeah, Of course. He's, he's been in the league long enough, and he knows, he, he's, he, even though he says some crazy things, the guy's smart enough to know that the right thing to say would be to say, you know what, when asked about it, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I am. We have a good team here. We're 51 and 20. We're in, we're in, we're in first place in the East. I'm not looking to go anywhere else. We have, we have a task at hand here. We're we're trying to focus on 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 winning the East and winning home court and getting back and getting to the NBA Finals, and uh, and I want to be part of that. So that's what Jared Smith and Jared Smith knows that he he's not he's, yeah. he may say ridiculous things and do ridiculous things a lot, but he's smart. He's still smart enough to know that that's what needs to be said, and he knows the media well enough to know yep. that they're going to run with it if he says anything otherwise. And what does Jared Smith say? Hey, save me a spot for that team because I want to be on it. That hypothetical yep. super team that might be created. Now, if you're Kyrie Irving and you're Kevin Love and you're some other Cavs on that roster, how does it make you feel? How, is that right. what you want to hear from J.R. Smith, from from LeBron, from anybody? Can you understand why <laughs> there's turmoil in that locker room right now when when you're hearing these things? These guys are supposed to be cooperating and working together to get to the NBA Finals. And especially with the position they're in, they're not in the fourth spot or sixth spot. They're, they're in the top spot right now. That's what they're. That's where their focus right. should be. And to hear your supposed leader talk about these things, and to hear a guy like Jr., who is supposed to be a helpful piece off the bench or or as a starter sometimes, depending on the night, uh, to 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 make comments like that and then support it and 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 also look ahead and say. Hey, save me a spot on that team. That'd be great. Uh, Jr., you're not at the playground. You're not at the park. You know, stand around after you just played a pickup game and say, "Oh, hey, you're going to turn this team together." Yeah, save me a spot on that. You're in the NBA, man. You're you're in the top spot in the East. You're you're focused, yeah. supposed to be on getting to the NBA Finals and winning a championship. I, I just don't get it. And then, if you look at where they've been with Blatt versus where they are now. Now, I know a lot of people are going to blame this blame it on David Blatt and say, well, the, the you know, the team wasn't where they should be or or it wasn't buying in and didn't respect him enough. Well, where did they go last year with Blatt? They went to the NBA Finals. What were they this right. year? They were 30 and 11. Yeah. What have they been since? 21 and 10. So, I don't know how you put that on David Blatt. I mean, a lot of people are still doing right. that. But the results speak for themselves. They were a better team Record-wise, at least, you could talk about other things, you know, underlying things. But if you look at go by the results, because really that's what we measure everything by, they're a better team under David Blatt than they've been under Ty Lue so far. And yeah. I don't know where they're going to be from here, but I know this: if they don't make the make it back to the to the NBA Finals, and they even if they lose, yes. even if it's in seven games in the Eastern Finals to Toronto on a shot at the buzzer, it's going to be seen as a failed season. And if yes. that happens, it's not going to be David Blatt's fault. So I don't know who they who they blame it on then. Maybe LeBron looks in the mirror at that point and says, well, maybe I haven't been the leader. Now, from being the player and, and, and production-wise, certainly he's LeBron. He's still doing the same thing he's always done. But in terms of being yes. a true leader, 
you know, Michael Jordan wouldn't have done that. Dr. J wouldn't have done that. Larry Bird wouldn't have done that. Magic Johnson wouldn't have done that. Even Kobe wouldn't have. He hated Shaq, and Shaq hated him. You know, they found ways to make it work and win. They didn't put the drama ahead of the goal, and I think that's what LeBron's allowing to happen. And a guy who's supposed to be the leader of this team in terms of the players on the floor, he's not getting it done. He's not upholding his end from that standpoint. At least not right now. We'll see what happens. And the perspective is, is you know, with LeBron, and, and, and I agree with you for the most part, but you, you kind of answered a lot of my points I've been making the last couple of days with this LeBron story and whatnot. I mean, I think he's bored. And you're right from the standpoint of, look, we live in a generation now where, I mean, and LeBron really was kind of the the beginner. He, he began with this generation when it came to the, the way these players are today. I mean, it, it's, it's turned into more of, you know, wh- like you said, where, the, where is the grass greener? Where can I find ways to market myself? Where can I find ways, whether it's good or bad publicity, where can I, where can I steer the narrative? Where can I find ways to, to really make the most eyes open and, and get ways to have people focus on my team? And you're right. They shouldn't be focusing on this crap. They shouldn't be focusing. But what? But then, when you when you start really when you start really de- thinking deeper into the process of where our entertainment business is, what's what's popular on television? You got you got you got uh, reality TV. You got you got MTV running around with these shows like Sixteen and Pregnant. You got shows like Kim, the Kardashians. You got these kind of things that are popular within the the lower forms of America. And you got people running around thinking, oh yeah, this is this is the way television should be, and blah blah. Not not like people like us, but people who are below. I, I wouldn't say you know put us above anybody or below anybody or anything like that. But when it comes to people who might not have the, uh, I guess the, uh, the the intelligence to see behind the behind the mirror, you know, behind the reality, see behind the shadow, uh, the Kardashians is all a joke. It's just a joke. It's just it's just ways to generate media and generate money. It's the same thing with what LeBron's doing. He's he's finding ways to generate uh, curiosity and why is he saying these things? Why is he doing these things? Why is why is this? Why is that? I think it's I think it's a way to get more and more people to to either steer the narrative or find ways to make him the villain or find ways to make him be this or make him be that. Because if you just if you step away from all of the media speculation, you're right. They're 51 and 21. Yeah, they had a bad night last night. Obviously, but that's going to happen throughout the NBA. The 51 and 21, they've been the best team in the East for the last year and a half. I mean, since January of last year, they've been the best team in the East, and it's not even close. I mean, it's not even close. And from that perspective, it's like, you're right. Why is this all this happening? Why is it? I think they're bored. I think, I think they are bored. The Eastern Conference this year, unfortunately, uh, has been a little bit better from the standpoint of the middle pack uh, in, than, than previous years. But for the most part, over the last five, six years since LeBron has been to the finals five straight years, the Eastern Conference has been relatively poor. Outside of Indiana for a couple of years stretch there when he was on the heat. Outside of, uh, as we mentioned, uh, the Atlanta Hawks from last season. Or outside of uh, even those teams that were, that were decent and, and very good. LeBron's teams were still way more superior. The Heat were way more superior in the East. You know, the Celtics were nearing the end of their run the first year they went when they played. The second year they went when they played the Mavs and the Thunder in the, in the NBA Finals. Then you had the Pacers in, the, in those other couple of seasons in 2013, 2014, and they still dominated them. Um, and so the East has been very, very easy from the perspective of the super teams that LeBron that James has made. And I think it's starting to wear thin on the narrative because ever since LeBron has entered the league, since he was 15, 16, 17 years old, when he's been covered as an NBA player, the guy has consistently, and I said this on yesterday's show, the guy has consistently had the hype that is, as we all know, it is unreachable. It is the the hype that this guy has behind him is through the roof. And and does that mean he needs to, he needs to make these comments? Absolutely not. Does this mean that he needs to go out and, and make a fool of himself saying the things that he is and then have his teammates back him? No, it doesn't. But, there's got to be something more behind it. This guy is way too smart to be saying things like this from that perspective. So I just have a weird feeling that there's so I'm going from the conspiracy theory, as you can tell. <laughs> I, I just I just have a feeling that behind the scenes he has some people steering some, making some, moving some joysticks, moving some, making some motions to say, hey LeBron, stir up this, oh, well. stir up that. There's no, you you can't lose anything. There's nothing to lose. You're still the best team in the East. Who's going to beat you? And so. That's where I think it I don't know. I, see, I, I disagree with that, though. I, I think you can lose something. I think, I think they're losing the chemistry and the cohesiveness that they'll need to win a championship or even to reach the NBA Finals. And without that, they're not going to get there. And I think because of this needless turmoil, which is exactly what it is, because it's completely unnecessary and created by right. themselves, 
Because nobody yep. else is doing it. I mean, you can blame it on the media, yep. but the media is simply reporting it. <laughs> they're creating it. Right. Um, I I think I think that's they're hurting themselves. So I, I think I think it does matter. And I I mean I don't I don't yeah. buy into a conspiracy that it's you know it, it's to create more attention. It, you never know. <laughs> but well, I, I think it has right. a lot more to do with he got embarrassed in that, those finals against the Spurs, and I think he had the same kind of feeling when the Warriors came. To Cleveland this year after beating him in the NBA Finals last year, that's when he got mad. He seemed okay all season long until that happened. And because right after that, how long after that game was then David Blatt fired? Because he was a scapegoat then at that point. Right. You know, and I was going to say the thing is, is with with the NBA, with, with 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 where the NBA is right now in their schedule. Look, if this right now, what's going on with the Cleveland Cavaliers these last three four days, basically this whole week, if if this thing that's going on with the Cavs right now happened three weeks from now, a week before the playoffs began, I would I would be in total agreement with you. I'd be like, what are they doing? This is the worst thing to do. I mean you're, but it you're going into a different <laughs> comp- Right. And you're still you're still right. It's definitely still a chance, but it's only three weeks away. Now if they like I said they had been doing this April tenth, April eleventh, twelfth, you know, the weekend before the playoffs began and they were still the number one seed and whatnot and all that. Even if they don't get the one seed, that's the thing. They weren't even the best team the first half of the season last year in the Eastern Conference. They were a, they were an right. average team the first half of the season, and they just went on this tear at the in the second right. half and just absolutely obliterated the East. That's where I think when they I, I think when they start looking back because that's what I feel like they're doing to a degree that team they're looking back and they're noticing okay uh, we don't necessarily need the one seed because we're still going to dominate that that's kind of my pers- and, and how I feel how this. I'm back. I am back. Okay, there, hello, you there, Jonathan. Yeah, I'm yeah, here. You there? I'm here. No problem. I fell off the air, but but I was just gonna say, like, when it comes to television, when it comes to everything that's going on, apologies for that, people. Uh, when it comes to everything that's going on, it, it, it's unnecessary noise. It's unnecessary, uh, you know, this and that, and that's what LeBron's creating. And I think, and I think he. Is is trying to fill a void right now with the March Madness and the, and the, and, the, and the news coming off of the NBA. I think he's just trying to fill a void, and I think he's trying to find a way to generate like like news and controversy of some kind to create this. Now, again, if this was April 10th, if this was a week before the playoffs began, I would definitely be in your shoes and be like, this is the absolute worst timing. But in in, in some instances, I think this is the best timing because if they don't figure this out over the next couple of weeks. If, if if this only gets worse, then then I, then I will more and more believe what you're saying when it comes to this is not good for the chemistry and good for the team and good for this and good for that. And only time will tell us that. But as of right now, with with it being the end of March, not the beginning of April, big difference. I don't see it necessarily as a big thing. Now, if it only gets worse and it only gets worse from here, then we know it's something. But for now, it's like looking at it. It's like. Well, okay, you know, to me, to me, I just look at it and I'm like, man, this is this is the Kardashians. Like, this is all it is right now. It's just it's just a bunch of guys getting upset and getting hot and bothered over a bunch of nothing, really. That's what it seems like to me. Well, I mean, time will tell. I mean, if this is a red right. flag, what's going on right now, and it's only the beginning of what's to come, then that's going to be a problem. And I'm sure the Toronto's yeah, going to yeah. be very happy about that. And I'm sure other teams in the East are going to be very happy about that. But we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But, again, I, you don't need it. It's not necessary. No. And, and uh, I, I, you know, it's just mind-boggling to me, again, a guy like J.R. Smith, who should know better. It's bad enough that it's created initially uh, by LeBron and some others. But, but for someone like that to then hear about the comments and then to throw – you know, oil on the, on the fire and make it even worse. He could easily have just said, look, you know what, we're, we're focused on, on winning and, and that's all I'm worried about right now and we want to get to the finals. Instead, oh, yeah, save me a spot on that team. You know, that's, 
uh, to me, if I'm Kyrie Irving, I hear that. I don't want to play with J.F. Smith. But right. we'll see what yeah, happens. I agree. Well, and, and tonight there's a ton of games on in the NBA, obviously college basketball at the Sweet 16. I would prefer watching that if I was anybody. But uh, if there's one game to watch in the NBA tonight, it's must-see television, as we all know, Warriors and Mavs playing in Golden State. Golden State's favored by 14. If there's one game to watch in the NBA tonight, that is the game from the standpoint of look. I mean, it's the best team in the NBA. They're on a historic run. It's a game that you got to watch if you want to watch history and watch it create itself. We are pretty much out of here. Uh, we got about 30 seconds left on the show. Jonathan, it was really good hearing from you. We'll be on tomorrow, same time, same place. Yes, we'll be on on Saturday, 9 a.m. Pacific, 6, uh, 12 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be back tomorrow. Jonathan, thank you so much, man. All right, have a good one. If we get some good games tonight. I hope so, too. Have a good one, everybody. Enjoy yourself. Watch the March Madness and watch the Sweet 16. Have a good one.